fellow planeswalkers. I'm James. And I'm Paul. And you're listening to the newest episode of the Commander at Arms podcast. This week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the direction of Commander, according to Sheldon Mannery. He is the godfather of our format, and he is, I wouldn't say he's probably the creator, but he was definitely one of the four who started playing Commander way, way back in the day, uh, at I believe a modern GP, and they wanted something to do, and they busted out Commander. But before we get into all of that, we're going to do our upkeep trigger here, Paul, as we do every single week. Uh, I want to thank all the patrons for your support. Your uh, donations go a long way in helping the channel grow. Uh, we have the Discord server now. We've been able to boost the Discord server, so we get extra, ex- extra. We get extra crisp audio on all of our recordings now and all of our gameplays. Uh, it is super sweet. So whatever we get back from the community goes back into the community, and I love it. I think it's great. If you want to become a patron supporter, you can do that at patreon.com slash commander at arms. Now we have our mail day and our interesting finds. Paul, I, I know you cracked a box recently. I'm not going to give away the contents of what you, you pulled. Um, but did you have anything else come in the mail or anything interesting that you found around the house? Uh, not this week. Uh, nothing uh, particularly interesting. Actually, nothing at all. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really ordered anything. There's been nothing that's really caught my eye lately. I got the set box, and like James said, I uh, I did open that. Uh, as a matter of fact, that'll that'll be on YouTube by now, I believe. So if you haven't already seen that, give that a look. It went live uh, today, uh, day of recording, which is a Tuesday. It's been out for a couple of hours now. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so definitely go and check that out. Uh, I guess we could probably switch into, uh, yeah, go and check out the YouTube channel. If you aren't watching this on YouTube and you uh, want to go see all of our video content that we are starting to trickle out now, you can do that at youtube.com slash commander at arms, I believe it is, or just commander at arms on YouTube. Subscribe, uh, go and check out the content, like the videos, uh, put a comment on the videos as well because that really helps the algorithm uh, and share them with your friends and see if we can get our community, our, uh, our video community uh, just as big as our audio community. Um, I actually ordered something quite recently, Paul, and it came in the other day and it was, uh, it was surprisingly a lot cheaper than I thought it was ever going to be. Uh, I got the mystical archive, Non-foil, non-etched foil, just plain old non-foil uh, tainted packed. Uh, I actually forgot that you had ordered that. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I found it. I was just I was scrolling through Facebook and you we were part of one of those like big old uh, buy swap sell pages and it popped up and the guy wanted an amount for it. And I went, I've got that. Let's do it. I need it for Najila. So I actually went through and I pulled all of my mystical archive cards together and i put them all into najila i had them spread over different decks i was like oh this one could use that one. Oh, that one's really cool so i grabbed like the counter spell out of tulane and the swords to plowshares out of reina and i gave them all the regular copies and i took the mystical archives because uh because of the demonic tutor that i pulled as well and some other cards that I had in my mystical archives, I was like, well, I'll put them all into one deck and it'll just be, this will just be like my, my mystical archive Najila deck. And how's it feel now to be playing with the, well, not even, not even that much power to be playing with that much consistency in borders. I, I don't really know how to, how to describe that one. <laughs> it's been pretty good, man. I mean, like, as, as we all know, I did, I did have the deck proxied out, so I have been playing with it. Uh, you might have seen it. I played it on Hoy's uh, MTG, Hoy MTG's channel when we played with him. I've played it on stream with the Commander Crew a couple of times. I love that deck, actually. I love it a lot. I love it so much that we did a video deck tech on it on YouTube. So definitely go check that one out. It's pretty short. It's about a 15, 16 minute watch to watch me kind of fumble through my way of discussing and talking (laughs) about how Najila works, which... We all know how Najila works, but just yeah, go check that video out. Um, I was I was super proud of getting that one out, and uh, yeah, man, video content's a lot of fun to make. That's all I'm gonna say there is I'm always thinking about what's the next video to make, what's the next video to make, and then it's like, oh, it's podcast recording day. Oh, what's the next podcast we're gonna do? Yeah, I will say that uh, working with video or like having video content, it's it's a little easier, uh, only because 
There's less explanation to be done as far as what cards do because when you have them on the screen in front of you, you can read them. It's a it's a very different experience. And yeah. uh, James has been working very hard on perfecting like I I like very minute details that you might notice to the naked eye. He's been he's been messaging me like, Paul, do you think I should have a slightly embossed lettering or not? Like <laughs> I promise you, James has been working very hard on on the not only the videos but the thumbnails and everything that goes with it. So, thanks, man. Please show the video some love when you can. I appreciate that. I I have been usually I'd sit behind the computer here and I would just fumble my way through the day and kind of you know have a, a half-assed idea of what like what direction we wanted to take the channel. And now that we've been adding the YouTube, and YouTube's only just been like a, a week, maybe even just a week old, maybe just over a week. Sorry. Um, and I'm sitting behind here, I'm learning Photoshop, I'm learning Illustrator, I'm having to learn Premiere Pro and, you know, animations and all this other stuff that I never thought I'd have to ever, ever think about before. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, uh, trying to figure it out. So, uh, I hope, yeah, you guys go over and subscribe to the channel and just follow us on this journey as we make our content look as best as possible. Um, I know we keep saying that we're going to have something coming in the wind. That was gameplay videos. Uh, we are still very much trying our hands at gameplay videos. Uh, I'm very new to editing and everything, but we will have gameplay videos on the horizon. We will have a rotating slot for guests to come in and play magic with us and showcase their decks and their commander playing abilities as well as politics. So everything we love about commander. Speaking of playing commander, Paul, do you have a play of the week? Uh, sadly, I actually, um, I was going to play this weekend, uh, well, actually, as of the recording a couple days ago, but uh, this past Sunday was Father's Day, and uh, I was just really busy this weekend. Uh, there are two fathers that I, uh, I celebrate with, my brother and my father, so I uh, was quite busy this weekend, you know, just doing stuff with the family, uh, so I didn't get to play this weekend, so it's been a few weeks for me, so no play of the week for me. I mean, that's fair. Uh, in the Southern Hemisphere, Father's Day isn't until September, so I still have a couple of months to, to go before I have to wish my father a happy Father's Day. Um, I think that's the only holiday that is quite different uh, for dates-wise, because Mother's Day is exactly the same, so I don't know why Father's Day is different, but neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, I don't particularly have a pl I mean, maybe I do have an actual play, uh, but I did get to play with uh, Corey, Chris, and Eddie over at the Commander Crew on their Sunday night streams, which I'm over there quite consistently now, whenever they, they, whenever Corey, you know, hits me up and says, Hey man, we need a fourth. I'm always like, I'm so down. <laughs> Just get me on. I'll play magic any day. Um, and we started off with, uh, I want to say probably like a lower tier game. Uh, it was the Zabraz, I think it's called from modern horizons Two. uh, Corey was playing Chatterfang, the squirrel general, uh, Eddie was playing uh, Zabraz. No, not not, not Zabraz. Um, the Unearthed Commander. The Grixis Unearthed Commander. I can't remember its name. Uh, Cedrus? Cedrus, Trader that's King? it. Yeah. Yes, Cedrus. And I was playing uh, my Gearhead, the Conclave Exile deck that I haven't played in what seems like maybe 12 months. Maybe a bit longer. Because the last time I think I played it was with you and everyone else at Bam, Paul. Yeah, I think actually the last time you played that, I was at your place, and it was a three-way game with me, you, and the... Uh... Actually, it may have been the one-on-one -on -one we had, Geared versus Geared. I can't remember. I think it might have been. Uh, so I basically just took the commander into Architect, and I went, how can I build this deck? And I pretty much pushed into just building straight Rhino tokens. Uh, I, I'm not going to give away the full thing, uh, because I'm planning on doing a a video deck tech on it and a rundown on how that deck plays out. But if you were around for that stream, or want to be uh, in on any of the other streams, go and check out the commander crews, Twitch page, follow them. And I'll be uh, tweeting out when I'm live with them. And if I play it, you'll be able to check out how it plays in, in person. And uh, so we got about three and a half hours into this game. And by one stage I had like 
four 2020s on the field and two 1990 dinosaur beasts with this big old massive board state of terror of the peaks out and that was an issue and everyone's like james is a threat and i'm like no have you seen squirrels there's like 15 of them those things can kill emmacruel don't worry about my, my 1990 it can't do anything <laughs> um it was a really fun game and then we played a second game and uh we played a little bit higher power and uh shaylin and zabraz no Braylon and Shabraz. The That's the Shark Boy and Lava Girl, right? Yeah. But not literally. Yeah, that's yeah. a <laughs> that is a powerful deck, man. I versed it with Najila and did my classic ho oh, ho, this is Najila. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, it's Najila. <laughs> Jeweled Lotus, turn one Najila, say pass. Oh, into like mana dork. And everyone's like, holy damn, that's a good turn. And then next turn it was like planes, path to exile. And I went, damn it. I don't even play pl- I don't even play basics <laughs> in this deck. That's your oh. own damn fault. <laughs> yes, it is. I understand that. Um, so, you know, with all that said, that was pretty much my plays, uh, just getting to play Gear Ed again and getting to swing out with Rhinos and smacking people with 4-4 trampling Rhinos is always fun for me. And I just like seeing Rhinos, not going to lie. Rhino? Rhino. I'll, uh, I'll eventually make it back over there to the commander crew at some point, but that one comment on that video where I played the uh, Seton that told me that I, I kept misplaying and I kept saying the, the, the wrong effect of uh, Gaia... Uh, I forgot the name of that card. Gaia's Touch? Gaia's Touch, yeah. I don't know, it got to me. It just sent me into a slump. No! I'm absolutely kidding, by the way. I just I think <laughs> magic. <laughs> yeah, we, we, take, we take, you know criticism on the chin we'll we'll always you know be be good about our criticism uh <laughs> i had a couple bit of feedbacks for for an episode of one of the the, the videos that i did and i uh, i took it on the chin and went all right how can i make this better but enough dilly dallying now paul we have a decent amount to get through uh like i said we're going to be talking about the direction of commander according to sheldon mennery so let's get into our main phase one and uh we're going to refer back to our last episode so if you haven't listened to that episode uh since listening to this one, if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and listen to that one first, because it will make this episode, uh, the context of this episode, uh, easier to 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 understand. I guess is yeah. There like, actually is of some word. degree of uh, there is some degree of continuity from last week's episode to this one because it, basically Sheldon wrote what was a follow up to a small blurb he made in a, another article, and you know, so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, uh, Sheldon made a comment about wheels and commander uh without spoiling too much uh we gave some comments about that and expanded on a little bit so go ahead and listen to that and then come back to this one all right so now you've listened to that episode i hope you enjoyed that one as well um (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna move on now to the rest of this one so this this article that he wrote uh, I read it last night and it really, it kind of hit home a little too hard that I thought, like, I didn't think it was going to hit as hard as it did, honestly. Like I read it and I went, oh, I'm guilty of that. Oh, I'm also guilty of that. Um, so we're going to get probably the the smallest amount of details out of the way first. And that's just the reserve list stuff that he, that he talked about. Um, I don't think I have really like much else to say about the reserve list than what he's already said. Um, yeah, did you have the, any comments, Paul? The the reserve list is one of those things that comes up pretty much every week, almost every day. Um, there are mixed opinions here and there about it. Um, people rest on the keep it and the don't keep it ends of the spectrum. And there really isn't anything to say that hasn't already been said. It's been around so long that every single possible comment that can be made about it has been made by this point. So... There's nothing we can really say uh, one way or the other. Um, I guess for uh, I guess for honor's sake, which I, I should mention that my my personal opinion on it is that it can go. I don't care. I own reserveless cards. I don't care if it exists or not. Um, I'd rather that more people have access to these cards than not. Um, but I understand why people feel the way they do about keeping it. So uh, I don't know. I'm kind of moderate about it. Yeah. But I at mean, any rate. Just- like give us like uh reserve list adjacent cards like they did with uh jeweled lotus and black lotus i'd be okay with that just you know don't give us i don't know because they did like uh their fixed version of ancestral recall uh visions of beyond which i mean it has a stipulate a, a, a uh 
a clause on it that says, you know, if you have, I think it's seven or more cards in your graveyard, you draw three cards for one mana. I'm fine with that. that to me, that that's like, that's a good enough, like, adjacent version to Ancestral Recall. Or there's also the Suspend version that came out in Time Spiral. Ancestral Vision is that's the, the one. That, that card. Um, but yeah, so Reserve List, not really much to say about it. So nah. we're just going to move straight on into... The other four things that Sheldon mentioned in this article. Yeah. And the first one that he mentioned was the decay of other formats. Now, we're not talking standard. We're definitely not talking modern because that's basically like the way mo- the, the state of modern right now is, I think, the healthiest it's been in a while. And we're not a modern podcast. I don't know much about modern besides what I had a little discussion this morning with uh, one of my friends on the Discord server. And we were talking about modern and he's a little closer to modern than I am. And he just said like, you know, it's, it's the most diverse that it's, it's been in what seems like forever. And with modern horizons too, they're definitely going in a good direction. Um, but we're talking about vintage and legacy formats. Now these are other eternal formats that have dwindling numbers because of like, I, I guess it's like a gaining issue of like how expensive it is to get into those formats if you don't want to proxy the cards. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that a lot of legacy and vintage players, well, I shouldn't say a lot. I've seen vintage and legacy players swear that the, the formats are like healthier than they've ever been and, you know, new players get in every day, which may or may not be true, but it's just, it's it's weird to me seeing this comment come from Sheldon and then people that actually play are saying that, no, 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 these formats are fine. Granted, I've also seen comments from players of those formats that say that uh, the formats need help. Like, there's there's nothing really uh, keeping them alive at this point. And a lot of that, as uh, Sheldon mentioned and James just mentioned, has to do with prices of cars that you need to play those formats. Like, if you want to play lands and legacy which is a deck that i am building towards and i I already have pretty much all the expensive pieces for it uh you need a copy of tabernacle at pendrel veil which right now will cost you about four thousand dollars three to four thousand dollars um you need four mox diamonds which right now i think are about four to five hundred dollars uh each sorry i should mention that each so that's two thousand total roughly um it's expensive man if you want to play in paper it's expensive a lot of people play these formats online simply because, you know, like dual lands and things are maybe a few bucks each. Whereas in paper, you're paying like $800 for an underground sea, $700. Uh, and what Sheldon says in the article, article specifically is that because these formats are losing, uh, not really sponsorship, but they're losing uh, players, these players are going to a format where they know they can consistently get people to play with while still being able to use these cards that they own, um, which happens to be Commander. And when you're playing 1v1, for those of you who have never played a 1v1 format before, 1v1 60-card format, it is a lot more competitive. It's a lot more about optimization of not only your deck, but also your play style. You know, uh, like being mana efficient, knowing when to leave up mana to you know, represent certain cards, uh, observing certain play patterns, being able to tell what deck your opponent's playing just by, like, the first card that they play. Uh, It really is, like, a whole different world to play 1v1 60-card 20-life as opposed to singleton 100-card 40-life. And with that, you introduce this player to a multiplayer format where you your goal is really to make sure that everybody is having an enjoyable experience instead of just winning. And you have kind of a conflict of interest on your hands, which honestly, I've seen this happen. And to a degree, I agree with Sheldon that that can be kind of problematic. But also, I think this is an issue that is largely self-correcting. Like this person will play and play and play. And when they realize that people aren't enjoying playing with them, they'll realize like, I am probably doing something wrong or I'm probably doing something that is causing these people to not want to play with me and eventually I think they'll get to the point where they'll realize this and you know after some time they will be you know molded into this proper so to speak commander player you know completely separate from their 60 card persona so to speak yeah or they'll just like naturally progress into playing 
uh, probably closer to CEDH than us normies get into. Uh, I use that that term quite loosely there because uh, I dip my toe between, you know, mid-level play and high-level play, but I never really dip my toe in CEDH yet. That is a whole different kit and caboodle that I'm just not willing to be a part of. I don't think I have... I'm just... I'm, I'm not in the right headspace for it. Let's just say that. Um, but I think, like, your vintage and legacy players, because of their optimization and their, like, competitive nature towards their format, will bring it over to ours. And they'll probably end up being in that that higher-powered uh, slot of commander, which I think is fine. Uh, they may be able to still find players to play against in, like, high pods, CDH pods... Um, but yeah, if they want to play anything less than that, they, they will just, they'll, they'll struggle. They'll have, we'll, we'll get that self-correcting nature of commander where, you know, someone will see their commander and then they'll be like, oh, I don't want to play the, oh, I'll play against this guy. And they'll be like, all right, what am I doing? What am I doing? That's wrong. Like, like what can I fit? How can I fix this? So that people want to play with me more. And that's just playing, you know, more dumbed down, uh, less consistent decks. Right, and that's the cool part about Commander is that no matter what this, what type of person this legacy or vintage player happens to be, there is a niche for them. There is a community. There is a place that they can play. Yeah, like one at thing any that, given time. One thing that Sheldon did actually mention that uh, I think we we just have to keep, uh, you know, aggressively reinforcing is not just the philosophy of like what Commander is, but also having like really good rule zero talks. Uh, just making sure that like, you know, when you sit down to a table, you are like, you're explaining your intention of your deck. I think I've had this experience uh, only maybe like a handful of times playing online over the last year uh, on spell table where I sat down in a pod and this guy was like, oh, hey, you know, like I'm playing this deck. It does this and this and this. And like, it may be a strong commander, but it's like, I only want to use it for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And we were like, oh, that's cool. You know, it was like, well, I'm playing Gearhead and I have no infinite combos and I have no this, and I'm just going to smash you in the face with a butt ton of rhinos um, or when I'm playing Tulane, it's, yep, it's a combo deck. Like I don't get to play this deck that, that much. It wants to basically slow the game down to then, uh, break parity and uh, form some sort of, you know, engine that helps me draw cards and play more lands and get into my stuff before you guys get into your stuff. Um, and but definitely- honestly, yeah, I, uh, I was just going to say that Sheldon, I, I, I don't think that Sheldon's trying to say that like vintage and legacy players are harmful. Is I, I definitely don't believe that. I, I think it more so what he's trying to say is that it's important now more than ever to have those talks because it leads to just a better player play experience, not only for yourself, but for them. Yeah, and that's what we want to take away from this is we want to make sure that people are still coming to the commander table to have fun on a Friday night, throw down with their favorite cards and then walk away. Still, Everyone's still being friends essentially, is the way that I see Commander. Right, and it's unfortunate because I'm pretty sure this is one of those comments that Sheldon makes that people are going to heavily misinterpret, and uh, I feel bad for him ahead of time for the fallout from that. But uh, alas, I suppose he's probably already prepared for it. I mean, he does say that he has to tiptoe around certain things in the in the article because any one slip <laughs> of the tongue can affect the pricings of cards and... I mean, we'll we'll get into that a little later on as well. Um, we're just gonna we're basically going down the points in the uh, in the article point for point, except for the the the, the reserveless one, which he comes he brings up near the end of the article. We decided putting up bringing it up at the start of the episode here because, I mean, what's written on the page is essentially <laughs> all there is to talk about with it. So, I think it's a good uh, segue here, Paul, to talk about the next point on on the article and. Do commander players play too much ramp? Like, when is when is enough ramp enough? Let's say that. It's not about playing too much ramp. I think it's about the availability of too much ramp. And a lot of it is becoming more and more and more efficient. Uh, but that is actually something that Sheldon brings up a little later. So I'm not going to go too much into that right now. Uh, but, you know, a lot of... Commander games, and you've probably seen this yourself, will start off like turn one, soul ring into a signet, into, I don't know, like skull clamp, something like that. And all of a sudden, this person has just pooped out four permanents on turn one. That is a really good turn one, too, because you've got ramp and you've got card draw on the table already. Yeah, and, you know, even if, even if not for soul ring, a lot of games will go like 
I don't know, turn one mana dork, or they'll go like turn one, just play a land, pass. Uh, they could go like turn one, ancient tomb into a signet. They can go play a second land on turn two uh, into a signet or like a mind stone. Uh, they could play like a nature's lore, three visits. Um, and then turn three, they either like cast their commander by then. Uh, they could play a Cultivate or a Kodama's Reach. Uh, there are a multitude of other plays they can make, but like Ramp has become the token turn one to three play. And Sheldon actually specifically mentions in the article that turn four to five are like the critical turns. Uh, he mentions that a little later. But turns four through five become these critical turns because people have so much Ramp that gets them to these big plays on those turns as opposed to like you know later on in the game when i started playing commander uh it was like a turn eight to nine format or you know sometimes even as late as turn 10 or 11 and that is just simply not the case anymore there's just a lot of ramp now i will say uh when i build decks i specifically look at the Again, like the exposure of having like deck stats to us a lot. And we're always told that, you know, you want 10 card draw, 10 rant spells and you want interaction spells. Um, I think also what it's trying to get at is if you have too much ramp in your deck, you're not going to have enough slots for interaction um, to get rid of other people's permanents to kind of disrupt their game plan so that you can then kind of, you know, have this back and forth with the rest of the table kind of thing. It's, it's, it's such a fine line between, you know, what, he's trying to say and what we're trying to interpret he's saying with also having our own thoughts kind of laid in there as well um i mean he goes from this to talking about fast mana and which is a whole different topic discussion that we'll have at the end um but trying to get all of the colors to really shine as much as the others so like you know, green has the most amount of ramp and then blue is the next powerful color because it has card draw if the way you want to look at it. So then like commanders who are like Simic plus X turns them into absolute powerhouses because you have the way of ramping and then you have the way of card drawing and then you just throw in red. So you've got teamer and then you've got access to burn spells if you want to or throw in white and you've got Bant, which is what Tulane is uh, and every other amazing Bant commander out there because you have the base grounds of you'll always have access to ramp and card draw, and then you just do whatever you want with that last color, um, which it makes kind of people shying away from non-green decks or like, any, you know, non-green commanders because they feel like they're going to be behind because everybody else is just ramping and ramping and ramping. And that's kind of the, the trend that we're seeing currently in commander. It's also worth noting that Sheldon does mention that uh, he, he, he likes cards like confounding conundrum, uh, Archaeomancer's map. He even says that opposition agent, all except for the last paragraph, um, simply because instead of being ramped themselves, they simply not really pun they either punish players for ramping or they let you basically catch up. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Sheldon, as well as a few other members of the uh, rules committee, uh, were with Gavin Verhey uh, last week. And they were chit-chatting, and he says that uh, after talking with Gavin, uh, it seems like that's more of the direction that ramp is going to be heading in the form of anti-ramp. So uh, it'll be exciting to see what comes of uh, what comes of that. And I don't think any way are we ever are we ever like ever going to condone mass land destruction to being okay in Commander. Well, there are spots for it. I mean, I I agree with you a little bit here. Uh, I know recently I've had mass land destruction played on me, and I was just like. Oh my god, this is so bad. I felt so far out of the game, even though I had a decent board state. Um, and I was versing a mono red deck, and I was just told that, you know, I'm like, I'm in mono red. Like, I can't ramp as hard as you guys, so I'm gonna destroy your lands instead. And I went, that's actually a good point to bring up here now as well. Is I was I wasn't happy about it. I wasn't salty about it. I kept going on with my game plan and just kept doing what I wanted to do, but it really painted a target on the mono red players back because it was like you destroyed my lands. But then thinking about it, they don't really have particular good ways of ramping outside of rocks and particularly fast rocks. You know, you're in mono red, really. So you got Soul Ring, Arcane Signet. Uh, there's Liquid Metal Talk now. Uh, what is the Ornithopter of Paradise is another good one as well. But Dockside Extortionist. Oh, Dockside Extortionist is just fantastic. <laughs> Curse <laughs> that thing is just a That's yeah. Th those two are just absolute powerhouses. So I, I was just like, hey, like if you wanted to play this deck again with somebody, maybe like not have that 
you know, the, I think it was fume. It wasn't fumigate. I don't know what it was. It was some mono red destroy all non basic. I think it's obliterate spell. is probably the one that you played. I think it might be. And I was like, just take that out and put a mana rock in instead. If you if you're so worried about being behind, just put a mana rock in. And I'm not sure if that was the right advice, but I just don't know if adding land destruction there was also the right thing to do. I don't know. I I, I don't. I didn't really like dive too deep into the like the thoughts of why and why not um to really come up with a a fantastic like solution to the problem personally speaking i I don't think that's the correct mentality for mass land destruction mass land destruction i think should be viewed more as a win con like if you're using it to slow the game down so that you can catch up I'm going to tell you right now, you're probably not winning that game anyway. Yeah. And you're just making everybody else have a worse time for what I presume is no reason. But if you're playing it when you're very clearly ahead on board, like there's nothing that anybody can do to stop you. Or if you like have a few turns of people not doing anything, you win. Like if you're playing Elish Norn and you have like seven creatures out and you slam an Armageddon, uh, like that, that's fine to me. Honestly, like that is legitimately a win con. But... If you have let's if you're playing like Rograk and you have Rograk out with no other like no, nothing else going on, maybe you have like a batter skull or something, even then that's like kind of worrisome to me. Uh and you play it or you play Mass Land Destruction, then I don't think you're playing it what I would consider correctly. Or funly is not really a word, <laughs> but it sadly uh, kind of tr- uh, communicates properly what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, I know. I had an Abzan list that I was putting together, which was Gave, Guru of Spores, that was going to like heavily rely on like Ashnod's Altar and Phyrexian Altar with with Spores, oh, Sapperling, sorry, to get to like generate my mana. And then I was just going to like, you know, Armageddon the board to destroy everybody's lands. And then it's just like, well, I'm the only one who gets to play Commander now because I have set my... I have basically built my deck around, you know, always destroying everybody's lands as well as having value on board to be able to do what I want to do. And I never actually built the deck. It was just an idea that I had because I I have no idea where it came from. I was just, I was playing and I was like, yeah, this seems like a fun thing to do. Um, but alas, I never actually put the deck together and got to test it with anybody and I'm very glad that I didn't because looking back now it is probably the most de- it, I played gen- degenerate decks like I'm not going to say that I don't um but that would have been the most degenerative play that I could probably do and uh I'm I'm actually going to throw like Azusa plus strip mine plus crucible of worlds into the mass land destruction category and I'm even going to I'm going to call that out as being more miserable than mass land destruction cuz you're slowly watching your fate unwind land by land by land. And uh, I just don't think that that play style is particularly fun. It might be for you, but slowly dying to a 1-2 Azusa, probably not great for everybody else, to be honest. Uh, I agree. 100% agree on, on that. Uh, just don't do it. So uh, with everything else said and done, we're going to uh, we're gonna pass through our combat phase now, Paul. And we're going to swing out with... I'm going to swing out with Rhinos. How do, how do you choose to block? Do you have any uh, spells? Do you have any uh, responses to my to my attacks? Is it lethal? Uh, yes. I'll take it. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to pass through combat. I'm going to swing up all my Rhinos out. And uh, we're going to hear a message from our sponsors right now. Welcome back from that ad break uh, where Paul took lethal... And I still have two more opponents to kind of deal with. Uh, so I'm going to wait for that crack back and maybe die myself, which has happened before. We're going to pass through to our main phase two now, where we're going to maybe hopefully assemble some sort of defense for our next turn. Uh, and we're going to continue the conversation here about the uh, about the direction of commander according to Sheldon Menery's article. I guess I, I think the article was actually called uh top five current commander concerns which is a really cool title uh so we're going to get back into point number three that he had which was homogenization and i guess this kind of just looks at uh i guess it's the like the it's the best in slot i guess there's no other real way of like saying it is like card there's uh, some cards in in decks that are just best in slot and is this like a bad thing so like I'm going to, I'm going to put a question to you, Paul, and that's, uh, is EDH rec and content creators contributing to repetitive build patterns of commander decks? 
So for anybody who is unaware, homogenization, in this context at least, refers to uh, all decks looking very similar or almost identical in some cases. Um, and Shelton says that though this has somewhat existed in the past, it's uh, particularly prevalent now uh, with some aid, well, a lot of aid from content creators and EDH rec. And uh, my response to the, the question that James just asked me is, yes, I think it's pretty obvious and particularly a non-offensive comment to make that content creators and EDH rec have definitely made homogenization somewhat uh, of an issue as of late. Um, James actually has an example of this that I'm going to let him share before I talk any more about anything here. I do. So when I said in the start of the episode that this article really hit home because I had just finished building, uh, so I was talking to Corey and he asked me for the stream if I had any Modern Horizons 2 commanders built. And I said, no, I was on the fence about building Garth, uh, One-Eyed, I believe he's called, or as everyone likes to call him, the community is Garth Brooks. Um, and I went, oh, everyone's kind of building that. I don't want to build that. And I'm very much the kind of person that like, I won't watch a movie if it's too popular or I like that. I didn't get into the, I didn't get into the MCU until Endgame came out because I was like, eh, everyone's like, it's so popular. You have to watch it. I went, nah, nah, I'm good. I don't have to do it. So that's how, that's how I kind of am with commanders at sometimes. Um, whereas I know some of the commanders I play are the exact opposite of that, uh, where I've been all right well i've looked at this commander i mean take Tulane for example which is going to be in this deck example that i'm going to talk about um that was a deck that i wanted to play before uh he blew up the community and i guess maybe he blew up the community before i got to see it but i didn't know about it at the time um and that's not being like i'm a hipster on Tulane and i liked it before it was cool it was just a i saw it and i went damn that does everything that i want it to and it's creature based and i like creature decks i mean i think that's pretty prevalent and that's pretty you know you know you guys see my decks you you, you guys know how i like to play you guys have like broken down a couple of my decks with me so i was thinking about some of the commanders from modern horizons 2 and i kind of looked at them all and really looked at them all and did just this not really a super deep dive on every single commander but like which one was gonna be my favorite and i well, looked at lunas uh cryptozoologist now this one here is uh it's a little how you going because it's simic and i know we talked about simic being you know two powerhouse colors in commander you know it's Blue and a green, one, two, elf. Sorry, not elf. It's a snake elf scout. It basically says whenever another non-token creature enters battlefield under your control, you investigate, and then you tap, sacrifice, X clues, and you get to uh, look at the top X cards of opponent's library and put a permanent with X mana value onto your, onto your side of the battlefield. So, cool. My brain then went, how can I break this? And I was thinking of ideas, and I was like, oh, man, if I can do, you know... Uh, what was it? Academy manufacturer who then when you play a creature, you get a clue food and a uh, treasure token. I can use that treasure token to tap crack and sacrifice it add a blue and play shrieking Drake. Shrieking Drake then bounces back to my hand. I get another, I get another treasure token. I do it again. And then I do it again. And you can kind of see where that's coming from. Like you can see the loop happening where you'd end up with a massive storm count, a massive amount of treasures. Oh, sorry, not treasures. Um, a massive amount of clue tokens. And then if you add an untapping ability, like say intruder alarm, cause I mean intruder alarm breaks, breaks commander, um, to then untap Lunas to then be able to keep going. And I, I, I built the deck and I went, damn, that's going to be fun. And then I took a step back and I was looking at it and I was like, okay, that's in Tulane. That's in Tulane. So like dead eye navigator, Peregrine Drake, Eternal Witness, Archeomancer, Shrieking Drake, they're all in Tulane. I went, oh no. Um, Leyline of Anticipation is also in Tulane. I went, oh no, I've just basically built Tulane creatures again <laughs> without even thinking about it. And uh, that got me uh, that got me into thinking that 
for James's colon list, James, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you actually saw a lot of the cars in that list online. Is that is that, is that right? You were looking at like a CDH list or something online? I was looking at a primer for that deck, yes, because I wanted to see how I could. That was me wanting to push Tulane into a direction that I wanted to go with the deck because of the evolution of our stance where you had a high deck i wanted a high deck so i pushed my chillane deck to being in a high deck so i did look at the the cedh primer on moxfield for some of the cards i mean a lot of them just make sense you know you want creatures to bounce back to your hand you know you want cloudstone curio because then that just makes all of your creatures into bounce creatures and because you're playing you know mana dorks they're just again one drop uh bounce creatures so i mean it just that's all things is that just makes sense so when it came to building lunas i didn't even think about it and i just i put the, I, I put the deck together and i stuck I, I took a step back and i was like i can't play this deck i have to fix it i will not fix it but i have to have to make it feel different to what Tulane does well right but the thing is that like how many people saw that article that primer oh thousands hundreds of thousands maybe and all those lists are probably going to look very similar, if yeah. not the same. That And that's the point that Sheldon is trying to make here, is that the existence of the internet, and in particular people that use the internet to create content, uh, are resulting in what... Uh, I was using the term overexposure with James. Uh, results in a lot of overexposure to the same cards over and over and over and over and over again. And as a result... You see the same cards over and over and over and over again because people see others play these cards. They see them overperform. They think they look cool. Uh, they go get these cards. And then, you know, depending on how many people are actually watching that content, you can start to see some real patterns develop. Like, uh, I know I was mentioning with James the command zone with uh, Vidalcan Orri. That's a very popular example that people cite all the time. And not saying that that's a bad thing at all, uh, but it is very obvious that content creators have an effect on people and the cards that they play. And I think to say otherwise is uh, remiss or kind of oblivious of us. Yeah, see, I whenever I put a deck together that has blue in it, unfortunately, I go straight to Ristic Study, Mystic Remora, Preordain, Ponder, and Brainstorm. As like the first five, I haven't even added anything else. And they're the first five cards that I usually, well, not usually, but they're the first five cards that come to my brain when I'm talking about blue. Then I'm like, how do I card draw in green? Well, I can either have it when it ETBs or when I cast it. So I can either do like Beast Whisperer is one of them, which again, all of these cards are in the Lunas list that I put together. And it just, it just boggles my mind that I did what I did without even thinking about it because of that quote unquote, what's the best in slot for that particular uh, result. Right. And just to clarify, neither myself, James, nor Sheldon are saying that there's anything wrong with this happening. It's just an unfortunate consequence. Yeah. See, with with homogenization of decks, it, it ends up being less and less easier to play your theme decks slash like your, I guess... Would fun decks be kind of, you know, in there? Like, you know, like if you want to play uh, Skeleton Tribal or if you wanted to play... Uh, I was using the term gimmick decks. That's, that's what it was. kind of what they fall into. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's 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 harder to play like your Minotaur Tribal or your Dune-inspired deck, as, as Sheldon says in the article, because a lot of, I mean, a lot of content creators out there, not a... Okay. Let me, let me word this very carefully because, I, again, I'm not coming after content creators because I'm, we are content creators and everything. But those clickbait titles that say, you know, if your commander is doing this or whatever, you must play, you know, must play black cards in commander or must play blue cards or you want to draw cards, you must play these, I think is commander's worst enemy. And I mean, I just very much quoted uh sheldon there but i also very much agree and he just he says it better than what i could say it um so that's where the homogenization comes in because we have all these creators saying you know if you're playing a graveyard deck play in tomb over unmarked grave you know or <laughs> whereas i'm like we want redundancy in our decks why not just play both you know what's wrong with an extra mana at sorcery speed for a non-legendary card going into your uh, into your graveyard over one mana instant speed. 
doing any card. And honestly, it's it's this is something that you can see even with like the largest content creators. They will have entire videos dedicating to like here's ten blue cards that you should be playing. And it's like when people see things like that, it almost you know, it makes them feel like bad that they're not playing these cards. And I'm not saying like stop making videos like that or anything. Obviously, you know, you do what works for you. But I think that this is kind of what Sheldon is trying to get at here. And I honestly, to a degree, I agree with Sheldon's point here. Um, But I also believe that there is literally nothing that can be done about it that doesn't actively hurt either the content creators or the people consuming that content. I think one last point I want to make here before we move on to the last dot point of the uh, of the article is the professor does a really good way of kind of highlighting cards that we don't hear about as much. Um, there was a series or a couple of videos that he did. It was just like, you know, I think it was like top five white cards you never see or something. And I was genuinely like, I have never seen any of these cards played in a commander game dot ever. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was just like all these carbon. It was like Ristic Study. Why play that when you can play? I can't remember what it was, but it was like why play that when you can play this instead? And I went, damn. Why don't I do that? But then I always go back to, well, why not just play Ristic Study because it's two and a blue and draws you a card probably a little more consistently than say, uh, oh, what is it? There's the enchantment that's Ristic Study like Mystic Remora. No, 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 no. Oh god, I am just racking my brain for this card. I love it. I can think of cards off the top of my head at lightning speed. You put a microphone in front of me and a recording program and uh, a podcast to talk about, and I just, I lose it. Smothering Tithe? No, you pick modes between Phyrexian and something else. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's all right. I will, I'll put a tweet <laughs> out there and I'll, I'll fix it up. It's okay. I don't need to need to dwell on it anymore but anyway like he does these like really cool videos where it's like these are some cards like if you want these if you want like those powerful effects but don't want to pay for it here's the budget versions of them yes they're less um they're less optimized they're probably a little bit more mana they turn instant speed to sorcery speed maybe um but we're playing commander we're here to play we're here to have a fun time not a quick uh unfun time and that's that's my last little segue thought away from uh this what sheldon liked to call was the get good scrub mentality of commander players um i don't have any other points to make about that but i actually am going to introduce this next one um only because this is something that i actually feel very strongly about and it's actually something that we uh kind of dedicated an episode to um so for those of you who don't know a while back i want to say maybe if like a month ago ish somewhere around there uh we did an episode about interaction and in particular about how people are only playing like the fastest interaction now the most efficient most versatile interaction possible and only that nothing else you know nothing else is good enough and sheldon says that one of the biggest issues well actually this is his number one issue is fast mana and in his definition fast mana is like one mana mana dorks like Llanowar Elves, uh, Birds of Paradise. Uh, I think he says, I'm actually going to pull up the article here and get his definition directly from the article. Uh, one mana creatures, so mana dorks. Uh, two mana rocks, so like the Signets. Uh, I suppose Mindstone is probably lumped in there as well. Felwar Stone. Uh, and anything that is cheap to cast that actually nets positive on mana. So something like Mana Crypt, which is a zero mana artifact that taps for two. Uh, Soul Ring is a great example that literally everybody that plays Commander knows Soul Ring. You will see it in every single deck. Um, and in particular, the reason why they're problematic is because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it uh, it forces people to have interaction way earlier on than they normally would. Uh, Sheldon calls it time creep. Um, I think that's a little bit of a non-intuitive way to describe it like yes it makes sense to me but to somebody else that's reading this it might not make sense but basically what sheldon is describing as time creep is the fact that games are getting faster and faster and faster and faster instead of cards getting more and more powerful which is also happening games are just getting so fast to the point where like if you don't have removal by turn two or three you may as well just tap out you're done and i hate to bring up this game again 
But going back to the uh, game of Turgrid that James played, you can see that this is actually a realistic issue because, you know, Jeweled Lotus into a turn two Turgrid into a turn three Pox, literally the game was over. So that was a turn three concession by four other players. And I'm not saying this to criticize James. It's just a very good example. I have to clarify because I don't want any of the listeners to think that I'm still angry about that. I never was angry about that. <laughs> Um, but it does make it very evident that this is actually a, a concern, you know, and people have to play two mana removal, instant speed, three mana removal, instant speed, the most efficient counter spells, because otherwise, if, if not, not, if everybody else in the game is playing on a different level than you, then, you know, you, you're playing a turn eight game, they're playing a turn five game. And I can assure you that it might not be the experience that you're looking for. And when games are slower, like James said, and like Sheldon says in the article, you have more space for more decks to do their thing and shine. Um, like if I wanted to make a diehard tribal deck or a diehard themed deck, I realistically, in today's meta, most metas, would not have the time to like say like, oh, here's Bruce Willis and I'm going to I'm gonna go get, I've, I've, I've literally never seen Die Hard, I'm not going to lie. So I can't really take the that that idea further than that. But uh, you know, I wouldn't have time to do that because everybody else is already exploding, you know? Like if I'm not playing Soul Ring because I can't find relevance to the movie in my deck, then I'm already at a disadvantage. I think it's funny that you bring up a theme deck that you haven't seen the movie full. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like yeah Bruce, he's bruce willis and i was like yep uh, what does he do and he's like he's crawling through a vent you know like <laughs> not uh what is it uh nakashaki no naka oh and i kind of i'm not even gonna try and actually yippee no the name of the tower that he's in uh and i just i cannot think of the name i have seen die hard so many times all right fine it's my, it's my christmas movie all right here's my fifth element deck Here's Bruce Willis. Here's Gary Oldman. Here's Mila Jovovich. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's that that that's a little better. I mean, I love Fifth Element as well. He's my he's my uh, Chris Tucker. You know, he wants to be in skin tight leopard print onesies <laughs> with heels on. Yeah, and unfortunately, in a lot of metas, with how efficient cars are these days, and you know, like Sheldon said, the homogenization of decks, um, you kind of don't really have time to make things like that work unless you have that aforementioned rule zero discussion and say hey look like i'm i'm trying to act out this whole movie this game and if people are cool with that and they play similar decks then you're probably gonna have a good time but otherwise in general probably not yeah i don't even have a theme deck at all i don't think i've ever built a theme deck i went straight from like you know playing kind of dirtily magic at bam to them playing online where everything just got super streamlined and my knowledge on cards and my exposure to other players um, and starting to ingest more like content and everything just kind of shaped the way that I built my decks. Um, but going back to an episode that we talked about, Paul, about interaction, um, you said that you had never seen, you basically had never seen Nature's Claim in, in decks at all. Whereas I went, I always see Nature's Claim and I always play Nature's Claim in decks over over like something else you know like uh, over um reclamation sage maybe that's a three mana creature that etbs and destroys target artifact or enchantment whereas you know nature's claim is one green mana destroy target artifact or enchantment your uh, opponents gain you know that players can that permanence control against full life you want to get rid of that soul ring on turn one that someone's played you can do that quite if you don't have your own soul ring and you have that in hand someone goes well i'm going to soul ring you're like okay cool i'm just going to destroy it like, yeah, you can get your other mana rock out if you have it, because I can't stop you from doing that, but I can at least destroy your soul ring so you only have two mana or three mana on next turn and not five mana. Wait. No, you did that right, because yeah, you play five. a land. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, quick math. <laughs> so instead of having five mana on net the next turn, they only have two mana on next turn, whereas if I had Reclamation Sage in hand, I would have to wait until they've used their soul ring three times. That six extra mana that they would have gotten if I had a Reclamation Sage in hand, and I that... Right there, I think that example is exactly what Sheldon is talking about when he says fast mana slash time creep. Yeah, and honestly, like I said, this is something I feel very strongly about because I am a fan of the 
slower games. I like when decks do cool things. I like when games have a lot of like branching paths that people can take. And I love having, you know, those little interactions that make games interesting. Um, but when games are faster, games tend to run just the same way every single time for the most part. And Sheldon actually mentions that the slower the game, the more opportunity there is for diversity in the in the gameplay experience, which is, you know, so, so true that there's literally no other way I could put that that would make it sound better. Yeah, I mean, think of Commander as a board game and not a game of Magic the Gathering. If you think of it as like Monopoly or Settlers of Catan, you're going to be sitting there for a good couple of hours besides sitting there for... You know, I don't think I've ever had a game of Monopoly that hasn't gone over an hour and a half. Whereas I've had games of Commander that have gone uh, three hours. I mean, even just take like the stream that I had uh, last Sunday with the Commander crew. Our first game was three and a half hours. Our second game was 20 minutes because it was like 1130 at night. And I went, well, I want to play something a little faster. And they were all in agreeance. And we went, okay, I played uh, Najila. And like I said uh, at the start of the episode, yeah, like the the Sharkboy and Lava Gold deck that Corey played just, it hammered home. Like it did everything. It wheeled us. It dealed us. He was smacking us with a big old Sharkboy. It just, it won very, very, very quick. It won faster than I was expecting it to. The game went a lot quicker than I expected to. And I was the one who dueled Lotus out a Najila into a, uh, a Birds of Paradise turn one to then have it instantly removed the next, like the next turn. Like it wasn't even turn two. It was literally turn one for the player, uh, for, uh, for, for Chris. And he tapped a white and pathed it straight away. Way to, way to go, buddy. And I was the first <laughs> one to die. And I was like, yep, I mean, that that's cool. Like, all right. I was the first one to die. I died from a big old shark getting to the face. And you know, that that's what it is. But we played, I still think the funner game out of those two was the slower paced, you know, rhinos versus squirrels versus artifacts versus whatever the hell eddie was doing with his deck which was just unearthing things and just recurring value with it so i mean he wants branching pathways and everything else and diversity in decks and that gave us the diversity in in in, in the, the way that it was played and we had people watching and, and interacting with us and commenting on things and asking us why we were doing these things and why that was happening and so on and so forth. Whereas the second game was over so fast. I didn't have a chance to like, I only think I got two turn, three turns and I died. Like it was turn two and I'd already taken like 25 points of damage. But I think that's about everything we have to talk about for this article. Paul. Um, I certainly don't have anything else. Uh, I was going to mention that uh, Sheldon mentions that uh, there are like, they they can consider like using like sub formats to fix some of these issues, um, and honestly, that's not a bad idea. Sub format meaning like, uh, I don't know. Like he he mentions no reserve list commander as a sub format. It's basically just a branch of of commander. I guess CDH is kind of a sub format. Um, but honestly, I think as long as you have these rule zero discussions and kind of establish what you're expecting then you should be able to generally get the experience that you want out of the game. I'm a big advocate for rule zero. Uh, I like to talk about what the experience that I'm going to be having before the game happens, um, especially if you're playing for content reasons why, and even just playing for non-content reasons why, even if you're down at your local LGS, playing on spell table doesn't matter. Just make sure you're having those discussions and make sure that you truthfully give the representation and intent of the deck that you are playing so that you can kind of sculpt your uh, mentality and play style to the rest of your table, I think is just the most important thing to take away from this episode and take away from this article from, from Sheldon and just let's keep that, that train going essentially. So with that, if you want to get at us and you want to talk to us about this, you can do that on Twitter or on Instagram, both at CMDR at arms uh, we have the YouTube channel now, which is where we're doing all of our video content, as we've probably said many, many times this episode, but go check it out. Commander at Arms on YouTube, subscribe, like our videos, comment for the algorithm, and help us spread some of that joy and love. If you need to pick up any sealed products or singles, Modern Horizons 2 is officially out now. If you need any of those singles or any of those sealed products, booster boxes, set booster boxes, draft booster boxes for play with your friends, collect the booster boxes, collect the packs, 
anything, use our affiliate link, tcgplayer.com slash commander at arms. We also have our merch shirt. So if you want to rock the commander at arms logo across your chest, like you would have seen me doing in a deck tech videos, uh, go and check that out. The link will be in the show notes below. It will take you directly to our Etsy page where you can pick up that and have it shipped directly to your door. Uh, I want to thank all the patrons again for your support. It goes a long way in helping the show grow. And if you want to become a patron and help the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash commander at arms. Paul, it's over to you, buddy. Um, I'm actually going to do two special thank yous here. Uh, I'll do my traditional one. Uh, for those of you who are listening, even if this is the first and only episode you ever have or ever will listen to, uh, really means a lot to me and James that you took the time to do so. If you do like what you uh, are listening to, please feel free to share this with your friends. Uh, feel free to follow us or subscribe to us on YouTube. And if your friends like it as well, make sure they do the same thing. Uh, but I also want to give a special thank you to Sheldon Menery. Um, and any members of the rules committee or the commander advisory group that do work behind the scenes for the format. Uh, obviously what you have been doing has been great. The format is thriving and I know you guys get a lot of hate for pretty much anything that you say or do. Uh, but know that you have a special place in my heart for doing your best to make the format fit for everybody. And with that, I'm James and I'm Paul. And you've been listening to the newest episode of the Commander at Arms podcast. Peace. See ya.